inside I give you my life and I'll do it one more time slowly Let's try it. I don't want to just do it cold turkey. So let's um, do the chorus. Give me faith up. And then I'll give you an end in sign. Because kind of bring down and we'll go to that chorus. Give me faith to trust what you say. That you're good and your love is great. I'm broken inside. I give you my life. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours.
So good right now. And a pad. There's no pad. There's no pad though. Where's the pad?
Good morning, church. Why don't you stand with us this morning as we enter in the house of the Lord. Let's praise our God this morning, amen. I'm casting my cares aside. I'm leaving my past behind. I'm setting my heart and mind on you, Jesus. I'm reaching my hands to yours, believing in so much more. Knowing that all you have in store for me is good. It's good, today is the day you have made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day you have made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I won't worry about tomorrow, I'm trusting in what you say. Today is the day, today is the day. I'm putting my fears aside. I'm leaving my doubts behind. I'm giving my hopes and dreams to you, Jesus. I'm reaching my hands to yours, believing in so much more. Knowing that all you have in store for me is good. It's good, today is the day you have made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day you have made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I won't worry about tomorrow, I'm trusting in what you say. Today is the day, today is the day. And I will stand upon your truth. And I will stand upon your truth. And all my days I'll live for you. All my days I'll live for you. And I will stand upon your truth. And I will stand upon your truth. And all my days I'll live for you. And all my days I'll live. Today's the day. Have made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day you have made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I won't worry about tomorrow. I'm giving you my fears and sorrows, and where you lead me, I will follow. Trusting in what you say, today is the day. Today is a day, today is a day, today is a day, today is a day. Give a little shout this morning, amen. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. Glory to God, amen. Amen. Nothing good in me. You are love, you are love on display for all to see. You are light, you 
are light when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have covered all my sin. Sing, you are peace. And you are peace, you are peace when my fear is crippling. You are true, you are true, even in my wandering. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason that I sing. You are life, you are life, in your death has lost its sting. of the world. 
self-control. There are no laws against these things. Those who belong in Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. 
Father, this morning as we sing songs declaring who you are, as we sing songs that build within us confidence and boldness that, that we know that you are for us, that we know that you are, are changing our hearts, that we know that, that you have prepared everything that is necessary to restore our relationship with you. We pray that that would develop in us confidence, that that would develop in us boldness. Lord God, that as our hearts are transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ, we would see those fr the fruit of the Spirit developed in our lives. We would be more loving, more kind, more generous, Lord, more self-controlled, uh, that we would find ourselves with more joy in our lives regardless of our situations and circumstances. God, that we would understand in some new way that everything that we have is in Christ and that our hope is not for today, but our hope is for tomorrow. But we can still find hope and joy for today because of eternity with you, Lord God. And help us to understand that we, you have given us a specific mission and a specific call for our lives to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. And so we pray that with every aspect of our life, it would echo and it would communicate the hope that we have in your son, Jesus Christ, the love and mercy and grace and forgiveness that we have received by your Savior, by your Son, Jesus Christ, and allow us to extend that to every relationship we have, every interaction that we have, that Jesus would be made known as our hearts are conformed into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. That is why we worship you today, because you are saving us, you are rescuing us from the power of sin, and our lives are being used for your glory. So we celebrate you this morning, we worship you this morning, we come before you this morning and we lay everything that we have at the cross so that you can redeem it all, Lord God. We honor you, we worship you, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated this morning. Thank you so much for coming and celebrating with us this morning. My name is Mark Freeman. I'm the youth and family pastor here at Grace, and we are so thankful uh, to have you here and celebrating with us this morning. If, if you're new to our church, maybe this is the first or second time you've ever joined us. If you'd be willing, there's a card in the seat pocket in front of you. It says, Get Connected. Uh, we would love for you to be willing to fill one of those cards out. A little bit later as our offering goes by, you can drop that card in there or at the end of our service. You can meet with one of our hospitality team members at our information center. You can pass that card off to them at that time. If this is the first time you've ever joined us, we are so thankful that you are here. We have a small gift that we'd like to give you. You can get that at our information center as well, which is just outside these doors um, out in our foyer. We're going to continue to worship God as we bring our tithes and offerings. If you want to prepare yourself for that, I'll have our ushers come forward, and we'll pray again this morning as we worship God with our giving. If you'd pray with me. Father, you have given us so much, and as we have now kind of come through this season, as we reflect on Easter and what has been done for us and what has been given to us, we pray that our response to that would be one of uh, surrender to you in every aspect of our life, Lord God. We pray that we would do so out of a response of worship and praise and not as the enemy would love us to believe that we would do so out of a sense of obligation or a sense of, uh, of trying to repay you, Lord. But uh, we pray that every aspect of our life would be an extension of worship to you. And so as we bring our tithes and offerings this morning, Lord God, let us do so with a worshipful heart. 
uh, excited with the anticipation of the ministry that's taking place in this church, around this community, and Lord, around this world. As we bring our faith promises for missions this morning, Lord God, we are thankful for those that you have equipped and called to serve in every corner of this world this morning. That we are not present, we are a part of the ministry that is taking place around the world, Lord God. As hearts are being turned towards Christ, as those who are lost are being found, and those that, that have the opportunity to be discipled are able to minister uh, to their peers as well, Lord God. We're thankful for the ministry of our missionaries, and we pray that they would have every resource that they need, and they would have all the support that they would need as they go and serve and communicate the truth of your gospel. So we celebrate you and we worship you with our giving this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for all of you who have been a part of all of the Easter uh, events and, and festivities that we've had over the last couple of weeks. Uh, again, we, are been, we have been so blessed by your partnership with us and our community as we've served our community and, and loved on our community. Uh, if you were able to get a family photo last week, uh, we do have those hanging up. Those are not just decorations. Those are for you to grab. Uh, we hung them so they would be easier to find. Um, take your family. That's probably the best way to do this. Um, I know some families are cuter than others, but not all of you can have my family. So um, make sure you uh, take a look out there. They're right outside the doors. You can enjoy those, and you can take them with you. We will also be posting our digital images online for you as well so that you can have access to those. Um, but uh, thanks so much for sharing that with us last week. Uh, there's a couple different announcements in your bullets, and want to make sure that you look through those, see some specific dates and times. But one I want to highlight for you is we do have a water baptism coming up in just two weeks. And so if that's something that you're interested in participating in, if you have not had the opportunity to celebrate with us in water baptism, we would love to have you join us with that. Uh, we will be having baptisms at both services. Um, if you are interested in being a part of that or in, in being baptized, we will have a class next week during this service to give you an opportunity to ask some questions for us to share with you a little bit about what, uh, what water baptism is, what the intention of it is, uh, what we see in scripture as it relates to uh, the, the practice of, of baptism. And so um, even if you are just interested in the information, uh, that class would also be a great resource for you as well. Um, there is no, if you attend the class, therefore you have to be baptized, though we would love for you to, to celebrate with us in that. But if it is something that you would like some more information on, then that class is a great opportunity for you to get that information as well. Uh, we are, we're going to take a couple minutes here this morning to, to, to just share life together, to celebrate together. We're thankful that the Andersons are here with us, though I understand the circumstances are not great reasons to be back home. We're praying for you guys praying for your family, love you guys so much, and uh, celebrating this morning with, uh, with, with your mom, and uh, we're, we're grateful to, uh, to be able to share this little bit of time with you guys, even though it's not under the greatest circumstances. Um, so we're going to just take a couple minutes this morning, meet and greet each other, love and care for one another this morning, and we'll take five minutes to do that. Thanks, guys.
Good morning. I hope you had a great week. It's nice to uh, see everything greening up a little bit. It's wonderful to see your smiling faces this morning, to hear you worship as you sing the songs of the Lord. And God is good to us all the time, and we're so very grateful for his blessing in our life. Uh, I had a fun time looking at all the pictures up there to discover that uh, some of your families, your children are smile challenged, or at least it was trying to get them all to smile at the same time. I uh, especially love those who had small kids who had a leg sticking out and, you know, you could tell that there was a battle going on and all of those, but uh, those are the real life pictures, and, uh, uh, but they were wonderful. It's so wonderful to look and, and see everybody uh, in, our, in our church, and there are some people looking back there, and they see those pictures and saying, I don't know most of the people that are back there, and so we have a lot of new folks that you need to get introduced to as we go through here. This morning, as we approach the Word of God, we're going to be going back to a series that I started several weeks ago, and then we took a couple of weeks off from the series as we approached Palm Sunday and Easter, and we're going to be going back to the series. The series is called Beyond. We've been doing a, a study uh, of, of what lies beyond death, what lies beyond this world, what can we learn about eternity and uh, how it relates to us, what we can expect Several weeks ago, we began at the first part of March, and we talked about welcome to eternity, and then we talked about confronting our own death. We talked about the difficult doctrine of hell. Then we talked about what will heaven be like. Uh, three weeks ago, we talked about the resurrection of the human body. What will that be like? What will our resurrected body be like? And today, we're going to be addressing the topic of the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And if you don't have Bibles with you, I believe that the verses will be projected for you. But the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. Our Father and our God, as we stand before you today, we recognize that we are in the presence of the highest royalty. You have opened up your house to us, and you have opened up your presence, and you've allowed us to enter in. And today we have sung songs that express from the depths of our heart how much we love you and appreciate you and thank you for all that you have done for us and just for the great being that you are. Lord, we recognize also that there is coming a day when we will stand before you and our whole life will be opened as a book. And you will examine us and that the reward for your children will be based upon the actions of the things that are done within our bodies today. And I pray, O oh God, that through the encouragement of your word today, not only will we have a glimpse of what we will face, but also that while we yet have time, that we will be encouraged to greater faithfulness to you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen. I want you to picture a scenario with me for a moment. I want you to picture that you have been told that you will be living for one day, and in that one day, in that 24-hour period that you live, 
will determine what the next thousand years of life for you will be like. That you've got 24 hours, and the way that you live in that 24 hours, hours will determine what the next 1,000 years of life will be like for you. You're told ahead of time that in this 24-hour period of time, if you participate in certain activities, that there will be rewards based on that. And you're also told that if you participate in other things, that those will be unrewardable activities. Some will give you lasting reward and some will give you no reward. But everything for the next 1,000 years will be determined by what you do in the next 24 hours. How do you think you would spend those 24 hours? Do you believe that you would be able to stay focused on the task that you were given? Do you believe that you would be able to rearrange priorities? How would you live? What would you do differently than you're doing now? Would being obedient to the master who had given the call and had given the directions become something that would take precedence? Or would you prefer in that 24 hours to do what you wanted to do regardless of the instructions that you would be given? How would you treat people differently if you knew that in the next 24 hours the reward of a thousand years would be based on Do you think that you would be able to forgive people more easily? Do you think you would be able to keep things in a perspective and not allow yourself to be offended? It would be interesting if we were told that we had 24 hours to determine how we would live the next 1,000 years. You would think that 24 hours doesn't seem very long to have a reward of that length of time, but I want you to understand, for those of you that were here with us when we started this very first message in this series, we took a rope, and and at the beginning of the rope we had a little bit of red tape that indicated the length of our life in comparison to an endless rope of eternity, and that we knew that what we did within this short period of time was going to determine what the rest of our eternity, number one, where we would spend eternity, and then number two, what that eternity would be like for us. Because when you divide our life's length into eternity, it comes out as zero. We spend very little time in preparation for what will be an eternity. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us with urgency to live in such a way to receive the maximum reward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The judgment of our lives when we stand before God will leave nothing undone. Everything will be made visible And everything will be clear. It will be a thorough investigation of our motives and of our intentions and of our thoughts and of our words and our actions. This week I had a chance to spend some time with my father-in-law who 
pastored Shirley Assembly of God for over 40 years and we were discussing this and thought perhaps for us the most interesting thing or the most sobering thing is the fact that God will be able to judge motives. Don't know about you, but there have been a lot of things that I may have done and, and done well, but I've wondered as I stand before God and my motives are released or revealed before him, what that will be like, that so complete will the examination be, that when we stand before God, he will even know the motives for what we did. There's an outline for you in the bulletin, and if you would like to follow along, the first point is I want to talk about the history of the Bema Seat. The, the judgment seat of Christ is also known as the Bema Seat. In fact, the ruins of the Bema Seat still reside in Corinth, and it's one of the few things that's still standing there, and it's about eight or nine feet tall. In fact, there's some pictures that I have uh, available for you because I want you to take a look at it because this gives us an image of what it might be like when we stand before the Lord. And uh, this is the opportunity for the one who will be the judge will be about eight or nine feet in the Bema seat above those who were being judged in ancient Corinth. There's a, another picture that gives the indication of where those who will be judged will be standing or have stood. Now Paul stood here when he was being judged in Corinth. So that is the one that is being observed, and the sign on the wall back there says Bema, as it, the Bema judgment, and the one judging standing up top, and then the next view is the place where those who are doing the judging stood. So when Paul spoke of the Bema seat, he was speaking of a place where the people who were reading the word and hearing his words at that time actually understood that it was a specific place, and in that day, the Roman proconsul Galileo would stand at the beam of that judgment as Paul and other people were brought before him and their trials took place. And basically, two things happened at this place. One of them was judgment, but the other one was that at the time of after running in the games, this is the place where rewards were handed out. At athletic events, if you won, you stood there and they were given a laurel or a wreath or a crown for the winner. And so as Paul is writing, the people that he's speaking to that are contemporaries of his understood that this was the place. And so they could picture in their mind that someday, standing before God, they would be in a place like this when everything would be made known. Now, as you look through Scripture, we know that the Scripture indicates that there will be at least eight judgments that take place. First is the judgment which... Christ experiences for us on the cross, where it says in John 5, 24, Verily I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. This is the judgment that Jesus took for us when he died on the cross for us and our sins were paid for. Oh, how thankful I am that I don't have to stand at this judgment. For my own sins. He took it for me. We will no longer be judged as sinners. Those of us who have received Christ as our Savior in God's eyes. For that judgment is past. The second judgment that scripture talks about is a self-judgment. We're told in 1 Corinthians 11.31. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under judgment or if we would judge ourselves. In other words, there are moments in our lives when we review our own selves and the Lord says, if we would 
hasten and listen to the internal prompting of the Spirit of God that we would live lives that would be more honorable and more obedient to Him. If we would judge ourselves rightly, it will save us at judgment. So I would say to you, those of you who understand what the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is, that inward voice that tells you when you are entering into something that you shouldn't be doing and the Spirit begins to put a check in your heart. The Lord is saying, in order for you to enter into that, you have to walk right through the obstacles that I put up. If you would judge yourself, if you would listen to me, that's a judgment that I can use to help spare you. I once read, I believe that it was Bill Kirk that wrote this, that any sin that is arrested in your mind by the power of God's Holy Spirit never becomes a part of your past that you have to regret and seek forgiveness for. Any sin that you arrest in your mind never becomes a part of your past. There's a kind of judgment, thirdly, which is a discipline from God in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. and Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he hastens everyone he accepts as a son, or chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. Some of you have often wondered why it is that you go through things that you go through. Some of you have even told the Lord, I don't understand this. Why, why are you leading me through such hard times? I want you to know that it is in some of those difficult times that you learn more about God than you would if everything in your life was peaceful. There's a discipline, a judgment that comes that begins to reveal within you a character that God alone can put there. And so in the difficult times, in the disciplining times, be thankful that the Lord is at work within you. Fourthly, there's a judgment of the works of the believer that we'll be talking a little bit more about this morning. Then we know that there are some national judgments, the judgment of the nation of Israel, and then we also know the judgment of the Gentile nations. There's also a judgment of fallen angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 says, Do you not know that one day you will judge the angels? Did you know that that will be our task one day, that we will stand and give judgment to the angels? And then lastly, there's the great white throne judgment, which we will spend some time on next Sunday. That is a judgment that you do not want to be at. It will be a fearful and frightful time. So you choose by the decisions that you make today which judgment you will be at. And today we're talking about the judgment of the believer. When we stand before Christ, if we are in Christ, then the judgment of our sin is already passed. And the judgment that we will stand before the Lord will be a standard by which he begins to look at our life in the areas of stewardship. We'll be judged for our disciplines, for our priorities, for our relationships, the way that we handled our spousal responsibilities, the way that we handled our time to the kingdom of God, the way that we handled the finances that God allowed us to become stewards of, for the service that we entered into for the glory of God and in the case of Jesus Christ. All of these things will be outlined and opened up when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. At the Bema seat, the judgment seat. That's the place where the winners are crowned. Not that the losers would be punished, but the winners are crowned. But clearly there's an indication 
that those who choose to live compromised lives on earth, those who choose to run through the obstacles when the Spirit leads you to be obedient, will not have the same rewards as those who live faithfully to the Lord. So what are the characteristics of this judgment, the Bema Seat of Christ? The Bible tells us that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be paid or recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So here's what we know about this judgment seat. Here's what we know that it will be like. Number one, he says it's necessary. We must all appear. We are going to appear. There's no way that you can be in Christ and not stand before him to have your life fully accounted for. You must appear there, he said. Secondly, he says that we must all appear. In other words, this isn't going to be something for some of us and not for others. Every one of us will have that moment in time when we alone will stand before God, just us, looking into the eyes of the one who has done everything to win us to himself, and we will all appear. Nobody escapes standing before God. And then it will be there, when you are standing there, you will look into the eyes of Jesus. We will gaze into the face of the one who thought of us when he was hanging on the cross. We will gaze into the face of the one whose hands will still bear the scars and his feet the scars of the nails that he suffered for us to even be there with him. We will look into the eyes of the one who said, I gave everything for you and I ask that in response that when you lived for me there would be demonstrations in your life that I mattered and that my will mattered. Next it will be individual. You will not stand together as a family. Husbands and wives will not stand together. Children will not stand with mom and dad, nor could they determine your faith just because you lived in a Christian family. No, this will be one-on-one. You alone giving an account for your life at whatever age you are. Some of the questions are, is this going to be a private thing or is this going to be a public thing? I believe scripture indicates that it will be public. I believe according to some of the things that are indicated to us, such as in Luke chapter 12 verse 8, he says, I tell you that whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. You'll also recall that in Matthew chapter 25, there's this parable of the talents. Most of you know about that. The one who was given five turned it into ten. The other one turned it into more. And then there was one that took the talent that God had given and out of fear buried it. And in that picture of judgment in front of other people, they took the talent from him and gave it to those who had done something, indicating that at judgment we we may very well stand publicly. Now, I have had some various thoughts about that this week, thinking of, We live our lives in such a way as we want to appear before others as good as possible. We got up this morning and we checked our clothes to make sure we combed our hair because when we go out in public, we want there to be a certain image of us that at least we care. What will that be like to publicly stand before others 
and have our life's work judged. If you find this terrifying, I want you to take comfort in the fact that there will be nobody that will be mocking you. Everybody will experience the same thing. Nobody will be in a position where they can gloat. There will be nobody that will stand there and find that surprise in others' lives will overwhelm the surprises in their own. Because we know that there is good and bad in all of us. Most importantly, I'm convinced that when we look into the eyes of Jesus, it won't matter who else is there. Because it will be him who we have pleased or him that we have hurt. And it will, according to scripture, this will be a judgment of our works. And this is not an isolated teaching in the word of God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold and silver and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their works will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light, and it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved even though as one escaping the flames. Paul faces the prospect that some will stand before God having been saved on the day of judgment, that will have confessed Christ, but will have lived lives in such a way that did not do anything to earn them a reward. Perhaps they lived lives that were unaccountable. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. Nobody is going to correct me. And so I will live an undisciplined life, an unaccountable life. Perhaps they lived in such a way as when the decisions had to be made, they chose to live selfishly rather than living for the cause of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that if they had received Jesus Christ as their Savior and fed that to the point where they had a living faith, Their works may be all burnt up, but they will escape and get into heaven, though they will be unrewarded for anything. I've talked to people through the years who have told me, you know what? I don't care how I get to heaven. I just want to make it, even if it's by the skin of my teeth. I just want to get there. I believe that those who have received Jesus Christ on their deathbed, And I have prayed with many through the years who had lived lives the way they wanted to. And then, as much as I hate disease and as much as I hate cancer, I want you to know it's given people an opportunity to get themselves right with God before they saw him. And I have had prayers with those that in their final hours, after living lives of their own, received Jesus Christ on their deathbed. And some of them, moments later, were in the presence of the Lord. And as they stood before him, they will make it to heaven, but will have never lived a life that is rewardable. Having just made it in. Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. 
In the last chapter in the Bible, Jesus tells us in Revelation 22:12, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. In other words, the way you live now is not unimportant. But it's very important. Maybe the more difficult question is, why is it important? Why are the deeds done in the body so important? Because when you stand at the Bema seat, your deeds that you do now because of your relationship with Jesus Christ will become the public evidence in the judgment of your life. Brought forth into the courtroom to demonstrate whether or not your faith is real. And our deeds will be the public evidence brought forth to demonstrate the varying measures of our obedience of faith. In other words, salvation is by faith. The rewards are by faith. But the evidence of your invisible faith in the judgment hall of Christ will be what you did with your transformed life. How did you offer it to the Lord? How did you use it? Were you obedient? Did you yield to him? You see, our deeds are not the basis of our salvation, but they are the evidence of our salvation. They're not the foundation. They are the demonstration of what you believe. Now, we live in a day and age where there are many people that are cynical about Christians, cynical about churches, and the reason being is they say things like this, well, all the Christians I know are hypocritical. You've all heard that before. In other words, in the views of the world, there is something that is lacking in the lives of many people who claim to be children of God, yet as our lives are viewed, they see no difference between the way they live and the way we live. And these things will all be brought forth because our lives are to be lived in a demonstration of what he has done for us. Believers will receive differing rewards. According to the degree that you have expressed your faith in acts of service and acts of righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 3.8, Paul says, He who plants and he who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Ephesians 6.8, Paul says, Because you know that the Lord will reward each of you for whatever good they do. So I want you to understand... Then in those moments of time when you face decisions, how will I live? What will I do? That you're living in a moment where the Lord says, the rewards of your eternity will be based on the decisions that you make. Is your life a living demonstration of the the faith that you declare to be true? The things that will be open on that day in eternity will determine the reward that we have for eternity. Here's what will not be there. Thankfully, every sin that you have committed, that you have brought to the Lord and placed under the blood, is sealed. So that when you stand before that seat of Christ, Everything that he has forgiven you for will not be brought up because it's under the blood. It's washed away, thrown as far as the east is from the west. I don't know about you, but I can say amen to that. That makes this day a whole lot easier for us. Because next week we're going to talk about what happens for those who have not received Christ. 
But to stand before God and have all of my works judged will be frightening or sobering enough. But to know that everything that I've done that's been washed in the blood will not be open, will not be unsealed, will at least give me the joy of knowing I'm there, not on my own, but I'm there because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. The greatest gift ever given. So my assessment will be on my life lived. For those of you that are tweeters, here's a tweetable thought. Your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. Your life is God's gift to you, but what you do with it is your gift to God. So how then do we live in the light of this judgment? How should we live? For those of you that were here last week at Easter, are you, you recognize that I used two different gloves as an illustration. By the way, I had a lot of fun last week. <clears throat> I had a blast smacking Satan all the way across the room. If you weren't here, sorry, you missed it. One of the illustrations I used was of a Sunday school teacher in England that was teaching the boys in his class about what it meant to be indwelled by Christ and he used a glove and he said this is a magic glove and it could lift the Bible and one of the boys looked at him and said do you think we're stupid it's not the glove it's the hand in the glove this is what life looks like lived under the direction of the Holy Spirit he says he lives within you and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and so having him live within you, a yielded life to him is one in which you become the glove. You are what's seen on the outside, but him lived in you, motivates you. Where he leads you, you go because you've submitted your will to him. And so everywhere he leads you, you go. And what he asks you to do, you do because you're merely the glove. And you'll be rewarded by how you responded to the moving of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 said, and do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if Christ lives within you, he's going to lead you to places of righteousness. And if you have a battle with him within you and you say, as the glove, I'm going to tell the hand where to go, then you're going to also understand that those behaviors are unrewardable. And over a period of time, you will discover whether or not that you fall into sin and ask forgiveness or whether you make a pattern of life out of sin. Because the difference between those two things determines where you spend eternity. And so we have the spirit in us that leads us, guides us, motivates us, speaks to us, asks us to obey. And if we do these things, we will be rewarded for that. Because when our deeds are exposed at the judgment the Lord will know what you have done and what is your way of life. James chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 said, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has not deeds? Can such faith save them? Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And if you have a dead faith, it will show up at the Bema seat of Christ. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. For the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. 
In other words, the evidence of your behavior, the evidence of your works, the evidence of your life will determine where you will stand. It is by grace through faith and a faith that is real and a faith that is not dead that will be rewarded. I'm going to ask the worship team if they prepare themselves to come. There's an illustration that's found in 1 Kings chapter 3, and you don't have to turn to it. King Solomon had before him two ladies, one baby. Both of the ladies were claiming to be the mother of this child. Solomon looked at that baby and looked at those women and he said this, since I am unable to determine which one of you is correct in this, let's cut the baby in half. Each of you will receive a half. Instantly, the true mother cried out, Oh Lord, give the child to her and by no means kill it. And Solomon said, Give this woman the child for she is its mother. What was Solomon looking for there? He was not looking for the deed which would earn the child. He was looking for the deed that would prove that the child was already possessed at birth by the mother. You see, when we stand before God, God is going to be judging our behaviors, our actions, and our, the lifestyle that would prove that what we have said all along is our faith in Jesus Christ would be real. And from that, there would come reward. I want to read Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 21. I'm going to ask that you would stand as I read this, and then we're going to sing a song together. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all of the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful what you do. It's right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written... It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the behavior that God asks us to involve ourselves with. We're going to sing a song this morning that I believe is a prayer for all of us. I surrender all. I surrender all. And as we sing this, perhaps today you can close your eyes and just you and the Lord say, Father, today I make a new emphasis and a new effort that I will live in such a way that when I stand before you, there will be things in my behavior and in my obedience that are rewardable. Sing with me, please. To Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence. personality and they asked him the question what do you expect to hear God say when you stand before him Billy Graham said I hope I will hear well done thou good and faithful servant and then he said this but I don't think I will that stunned millions of people that were watching that because in comparison we all think if Billy Graham doesn't think he's going to hear that what hope do the rest of us have I want you to understand that you're not going to be compared to Billy Graham. 
you're not going to be compared to anybody. The Lord just wants you to be who he's created you to be and be obedient and faithful in the part of the body that he's given to you. You're going to be stunned when you get to heaven and discover many, many pastors who have preached and been known are not the most rewarded, but people who were faithful perhaps in things that nobody ever saw, but they did exactly what the inward moving of the Holy Spirit told them, and they became the yielded glove to the Lord. I'm going to ask our altar workers, our deacons and their spouses, that they're here to prepare themselves to minister at the altar. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never invited Him into your life, then I want to give you that opportunity today. It's the difference between standing before God for reward and standing to be cast out into eternal darkness. So if you'd bow your heads for just a moment, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't know Jesus, but I want to today. I want to invite him into my life. I want to know what it's like to have all of my sins forgiven and have them wiped away so that I can be a brand new creature. Would you just simply just lift your hand? I'm going to simply say, I agree with you. And then you can put your hand back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to give you the opportunity to come to know Jesus today. Because I'm looking around this morning. Are there any that say, yes, Pastor, today I, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to know that I stand before him, one who has been cleansed by his sacrifice. Are there any? Father God, as we stand before you this morning, we recognize that every one of us individually will stand before you all by ourselves. And everything that we have done with all of the gifts, all of the time, the energy, the finances that you have given to us, all of it we will give an account for. And so Lord, I pray that as we stand before the Bema seat, that the evidence of our life will be so overwhelming that there will be no question whatsoever as to who we lived for on this earth and that you became our God, our Savior, our motivation and our provider in everything. But Lord, if there is question today in the hearts, then I pray that today would be a recommitment day for many. Where they say, Lord, I know you, but now I want others to know you through me. And I will yield everything to you so that the evidence of my life will declare that I belong to you. And I pray this over your people. In Jesus' name, amen. If there are needs within your life this morning that you would like somebody to join with you and pray, and perhaps if you're here today and say, you know what, I didn't raise my hand, but I want somebody to pray with me and help me as I begin this journey of Christ, I want to invite you to come as we dismiss this morning. There will be people here to minister to you. I pray that you will go in the strength of the Lord, motivated to live a life with full evidence that He is your Savior and your Lord. May God bless you. Have a great day in Jesus. Hallelujah.
Good morning, church. Why don't you stand with us this morning? Let's worship the Lord. Amen. I'm casting my cares aside. I'm leaving my past behind. I'm setting my heart and mind on you, Jesus. I'm reaching my hands to yours. So much more, knowing that all you have in store for me is good. It's good today, today you have made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today, today you have made, I will rejoice and be glad in it, and I won't worry about tomorrow. Trusting in what you say, today is the day, today is the day. I'm putting my fears aside, I'm leaving my doubts behind, I'm leaving my hopes and dreams to you, Jesus. I'm reaching my hands to yours. There's so much more Knowing that all you have in store for me is good It's good today's the day you have made And I will rejoice and be glad in it Today's the day you have made And I will rejoice and be glad in it And I won't worry about tomorrow Oh, it's me, man. 
For those of you that were unable to hear, there was a prophetic word given this morning to us of the supreme nature of the Word of God and the role that it is to play within our life. And that we need, as we read the Word, to devour it within our spirit and let the Word do its work within us. That as we obey the Word, we find the blessing of the Lord that it reveals the motives and nature of our heart. And so today the call was to let the Word take the role of supreme authority in your life today. For those of you that may have backed away and have not been reading your Word, not been reading the Bible, not been obeying or reading it and, and, and disagreeing, that today the Lord wants you to know that His Word is to be the supreme director of our lives. And that as we give way to the Word of God within our lives, that the God hand of blessing can be upon us. 
So Lord, we come before you this morning and we recognize that we've entered into a place where we can worship you, but we ask that the word of God, the, the anointed word, the living word, would find a place within us and that it would bear much fruit because we yield to the direction given in your word. For those this week that may have not had opportunity to read the scripture, or those who have read something that have determined to not obey it, I pray that by the Spirit you would lead us into obedience to your word. We want to be a people that are known by the way that we live according to your holy scripture. So as we yield to it today, Father God, we ask that you would lead us and guide us in the truth of that by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we pray. 
stand in your presence, oh God. Oh, praise the Lord. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrender all I am. And I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who came it all. And I'll stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all. I am is yours. What can I say? And what can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. Break me apart 
sing it one more time. I'll stand one more time. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. He created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Father, we recognize this morning as your Holy Spirit has revealed to our hearts that your son Jesus was a part of every aspect and element of creation, that everything was created for him and everything was created through him. And Father, he came to earth as your son, fully human, fully God lived not just as an example for us, but lived as a substitute for us, laid down his life for us. In exchange, he took our sinful, selfish, angry, bitter, jealous, on, 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 on lives and exchanged them with his perfect, spotless record. We are thankful that then he said, it is better that I go and send you the Holy Spirit than for me to stay. And so God, you, as you walk with us, as you transform our hearts, as we sing your name, as we um, discover who you are, as we continue to study your word and find out who you are and who we are and who we are in relationship with you, Lord God, we are thankful that you have given us your word through your son, Jesus Christ, that you have given us your word through your holy scriptures and that you have given us your Holy Spirit so that we can understand it all. We're thankful that as the Bible says, the veil has been lifted for us when we put our faith and our trust in you, and no longer are these things mysteries to us. Help us to understand in new depths, new understanding your love and your mercy and your grace that would allow us in the midst of any circumstance, any situation, to be able to stand confidently and firmly knowing that we are your dearly loved children. That is why we sing of your name this morning. That's why we lift your name. That's why we proclaim you as Lord and Savior because you alone have provided everything that was necessary for us to stand confidently in hope and in truth, knowing that you have fulfilled everything that was necessary to restore us and rebuild us. 
We're thankful for your light this morning that casts out darkness. Father, we give you permission this morning to search our hearts with your light. And as that light permeates our hearts, we pray that it will expel the darkness. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to keep pieces of ourselves to ourselves and not giving you full access to us. This morning, help us in some new way to surrender more entirely to you, Lord God. Search every corner of our hearts this morning and allow your light to breathe life into our bodies. We worship you. We honor you. We praise you. We lift your name. We give our lives to you this morning in worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you so much for coming and celebrating, worshiping with us this morning. My name is Mark Freeman. I'm one of the youth and family pastors here at Grace. And allow me to welcome you as well. If you're a guest with us, maybe this is the first or second time you've ever joined us. If you'd be willing, there's a card in the seat pocket in front of you. It says, Get Connected. If you'd be willing to grab one of those cards and fill out the information that's on there, whatever information you feel comfortable giving us. And a little bit later, as our offering goes by, you can drop that card in the offering bag or at the end of our service. You can meet with one of our team members at our information center, and you can pass that card off to them at that time as well. That's just right outside these doors uh, in our foyer. But we're so thankful you're here. If this is the first time you've ever joined us, we are super excited that God has given us the opportunity to share life with you. We have a small gift we'd like to give you. You can get that at the Information Center as well. Just let them know this is your first week here. Just a small way of saying thanks so much for joining us and celebrating with us this morning. We're going to continue to worship God as we bring our tithes and offerings. I'll have our ushers come forward. We just want you to know if you're a guest with us this morning, if you haven't uh, made this your church home just yet, there is no obligation for you to give. Uh, this is a discipline that we see that God has put in the scripture. It's good for our heart, for the fellowship of believers. Now, we would also love for you to consider joining our, our family here, and we'd be happy to talk to you about what that looks like and, uh, and what life shared together would look like. But as we worship God, as we bring our tithes and offerings, we do so in, in a way to submit our hearts to Christ, to recognize that God has given us everything that we need. And so it is an extension of worship, not an obligation, not a payback, um, but it is an expression of worship and surrender to God. If you'd bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we continue to worship you this morning. Um, your word shows us that a living sacrifice is what uh, you look for in our lives as we worship you. And so this morning, we want every aspect of our life to be surrendered to you, Lord God. Um, that as we sacrifice our own selfish wants and needs and desires, we ask that uh, we wouldn't just lay those things down, but God, replace them with your hope, with your purpose, with your direction for our lives. So that we would know clearly where you are guiding us and directing us. Make our, our spirits sensitive to your Holy Spirit this morning so that we can walk with confidence, knowing you are guiding and leading us. As we celebrate you through uh, bringing of our tithes and offerings this morning, we recognize that you are the giver of all good gifts. You have provided everything that we need, and we will trust in you, even when our circumstances around us uh, seem fearful. We, we pray against a spirit of worry and fear when it comes to our finances. God, we also pray against a, a spirit of finding security in our finances and finding um, um, 
stability in our finances. God, we want that to be you alone. And so if the God of finance sits on the throne of our hearts, Lord, or is, if it is even crouching at the, at the door ready to take your seat, we pray that you alone would be Lord of our life, that you alone would sustain everything that we need. And so we, in an act of worship this morning, give to you. As we bring our faith promises for missions this morning, Lord God, we're thankful for those that you have called and equipped to go all around the world to spread the truth of the gospel. We pray for their protection. We pray for uh, their words to be perfectly crafted by your Holy Spirit to speak truth and life into dead hearts this morning, Lord God. We're thankful for their service, and we're thankful that you choose to use us in the same way. We love you, and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of different announcements I want to share with you guys this morning, but please make sure you look through your bulletin for some specific dates and times of things that are coming up over the next couple of weeks uh, and months. We want to thank you guys so much for all of you who were able to support us over the last couple of weeks with our Christmas outreach to our community as well as just loving and caring for people um, last week uh, during our Easter services. Um, just to remind you, just because Easter was last week doesn't mean we're any less loving this week, any less caring. And I'm not saying I've experienced that. I'm just reminding you, uh, just reminding you. Thank you guys so much. Um, uh, we're, we're thankful that Joanna captured some precious moments for us uh, with her camera last week. Those photos are out in the foyer. If you, see, um, if you see your photo out there, go ahead and grab it. I would recommend take your family's photos. Um, I know that there are some beautiful families out there, but there's only one of our family, so you can't all have it. Um, so grab your family, and uh, we're also going to be uploading those uh, images online so you can get digital uh, copies of those as well. But uh, thanks for celebrating with us last week. Let's continue to celebrate each week as we gather together. For those of you who are interested in um, celebrating with us in water baptism, uh, we're actually going to be having a baptism service two Sundays from now, the first Sunday in May. And, um, and we would love for you to be a part of that if you have not yet had the opportunity to be baptized. Um, next week during our, uh, our first service, our 9 o'clock service, we will be having a little bit of a class to kind of let you know what exactly uh, we, we do with water baptism, why we do it, and the way that we do help you understand a little bit what that experience is like. And so if that's something that you're interested in, in, in celebrating with us on the 7th, we would uh, love for you to join us for that class next week. Even if you're just interested in water baptism, what it is, what it means, but you're not quite ready uh, or you feel not quite ready, that class is still open for you to come and hear what it is that we have to share about how we see God has structured baptism for us and, and how it is a part of our faith journey together. And so uh, if you want to come and just kind of see and, and hear what's going on and make your decision after that, we would be happy to, uh, to meet with you and, and talk with you through that as well. So that'll be next week will be the class uh, at our first service, and then um, on the 7th of May is when we'll be celebrating together with our water baptisms. I also want to let you know that next week we will be having a fundraiser for our girls' ministries, for uh, our girls that will be going to uh, the summer camp. And so we're going to have lunch together uh, directly after our second service here uh, next week. And we would love for you guys to come and, and join us for that. There's the cost. That's the fundraising part. Um, and, uh, but if you are interested in helping or, or uh, want some more information about it, uh, please see Gloria. She'll be downstairs. Gloria Morano, she's our, uh, our girls' ministries coordinator, and she can give you all the details you need. There's some things that she's looking for as far as help. Uh, and, and stuff that can be brought for that meal together as well. So make sure you connect with her if that's something that you're interested in uh, in sharing with us. 
Um, but all of you are welcome to come and, and, sh and share with us for lunch next week. We're going to continue to celebrate God as we uh, spend some time together just in fellowship with one another. We're going to take five minutes this morning, give you an opportunity to meet and greet each other and, uh, and share life with one another. Thanks, guys.
Praise the Lord. You got 30 seconds to get back. Praise God. While you're, while you're making your way back to your seats, I just want to have a pastor minute with you here. We've had um, so many new families and uh, so many new individuals that have been coming to the church over the last few weeks. And I know that there are a lot of you that come from backgrounds that may not be Pentecostal. And so stepping into a service where there are individuals that would begin to speak out in the service is something that you are unaccustomed to. And uh, I've, I've had questions where I've answered individuals with some of you. I just want to let you know that, that number one, we are, we are not ashamed to, to be Pentecostal people here. Uh, I want you to know that this church does not belong to us. It belongs t- to God. And the Holy Spirit has designs and plans for every service doesn't mean that we don't prepare and pray, but there are opportunities from time to time when the Holy Spirit will rest upon an individual and they will be prompted to speak out. We find some instruction for that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I know that this morning there were a couple of different ones that spoke out, and and the scripture tells us in verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers, when we come together? Everyone has a hymn, we all sing together, there are some that have a word of instruction or a revelation. From time to time, there may be somebody that would speak out in tongues, and then there must be an interpretation. He said, all of these are done for the strengthening of the church. In other words, whenever the Spirit interrupts something, it will be to strengthen the church. That's the purpose. And then it says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and one must interpret. And all of this is done... Not that there would be interruption, but that it would be done decently and in order because the Holy Spirit knows what he's laid upon my heart to speak. And there are opportunities where there may be something going on in the heart and life of an individual that the Holy Spirit wants to address that may not be addressed in the, in the preaching of the word. And so for those of you that are new, I don't want you to be afraid. We draw everything from the Bible The Bible says that when somebody speaks in the service, as they did this morning, that we have to make sure that what they said is biblical and that we are to judge it. And so we who are listeners judge what is said according to the fact of, is it something that falls in the instructions given to us in 1 Corinthians 14? Is it edifying? Is it strengthening? Is it biblical? If it's not, then we dismiss it. And as your pastor, I would call that out. If it is... If it fits the the criteria for edifying and building up, then we can sit there and say, okay, Lord, what are you saying to us and how are we to receive that? And so for those of you, again, that are new to a Pentecostal setting, I just don't want you to be afraid or think, man, that is really freaky, but understand that there is biblical precedence for the moving of the Holy Spirit in his church and that we will always abide by the word. So that was just a little something extra this morning for all of you. Now I get to preach. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
For those of you that have been coming just the last couple of weeks, we started a series back at the beginning of March, and the series is called Beyond, where we have been taking a, a scriptural look at what happens after death, what happens when we get to heaven, what happens in eternity. And we have uh, followed along with a number of different subjects, uh, and if you would like, you can go to the website, and all of these messages are listed there, and I would encourage you to take a look at those and, and kind of get caught up with what's going on if you haven't heard any of them. But today we are approaching the subject of the judgment seat of Christ. This is for the believers. This is for people who believe in Jesus Christ that will stand before the judge and have our works judged and rewarded based on the way that we live our life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the scripture says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or whether bad. Father, I pray now that you would lead us over these next few moments in your word, and that as we examine ourselves, that you would lead us by your spirit to live lives of greater levels of obedience than we've ever lived before, so that we can please you and that when we stand before you, we will have things within our life that will be rewardable. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to picture, picture with me, if you could, a scenario where you are told that you are given one day, one 24-hour period, and how you spend the next 24 hours will determine what your life will be like for the next 1,000 years. You are told ahead of time that there are some activities that if you involve yourself in them, that the reward from those activities will stretch throughout that 1,000 years. You're told that there's other things that if you do, will not have any reward whatsoever. And so you face the next 24 hours understanding that 1,000 years will be based on the behavior of these 24 hours. How would you live? What would you do? What would your priorities be? Are there things that you would do that you would do differently, that you would live differently over the next 24 hours than you normally do? Would obeying the master and the instructions that you have been given, would that take absolute precedence? Would you treat people differently over the next 24 hours? If so, would you forgive more easily? Would you not allow yourself to be offended? What would you do and how would you live if you knew that in the next 24 hours, the way you lived would determine the next 1,000 years of your life. I believe that no matter how long we live, we need to understand that our life is but a vapor here. Just a vapor. In fact, the older we get, the faster time goes because we recognize that we're given just a limited time and regardless of the length of our life, in light of eternity, this is nothing. This is nothing, and yet... How we live our lives after we come to Christ determines what our reward will be for eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 says, Do you not know that all in the race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone who's running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 
There is a discipline that we who are children of God are asked to live in. And that as we walk in this discipline, we understand that when we stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat, that everything within our lives will be revealed. And our reward will be based on what we have done with the Christ that we know and the gifts that he has given us to this point. It will be a thorough investigation of all of our motives, our intentions, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, everything. My father-in-law, who pastored Shirley Assembly of God for over 40 years, and I were sitting down this week, and as I was preparing this, we just began to talk for a few minutes about the aspect of having our motives revealed before God. Because for me, as I look at this thing, even when I do the right thing, I have to tell you, sometimes my motives may not always be pure. And I thought, what will that be like for God to reveal the motives of everything? And how can we who are human beings find reward in anything? Yet God knows what he's doing. In the New Testament, this is also called the Bema seat. And the reason it is is because the people at that time were familiar with the term Bema. In fact, Paul was writing, and he had been at a place where the Bema seat exists there in Corinth. And there are some pictures that I would like you to take a look at that gives a little bit of an idea of what the Bema seat in the city of Corinth looked like. The one who would be doing the judging would be standing up on the top, and that is about 8 to 10 feet high. And so the judge would be up there looking down at the individual who is being judged. And so we can go to the next slide. You can see in the background that there's a little a sign on that wall, and that says Bema, indicating that this was the original Bema seat in Corinth. The person who would be judged would be standing uh, at something that would look like this. It was a one-person place standing there looking up at the one who would be doing the judging. And then I believe that we have another view that encompasses what it would look like from the top, from where the judge is, looking down on the individual that was being judged. So when Paul speaks of the Bema seat, he was speaking from a position of having been there. He knew what it was like. Now this Bema seat was used for two different things. First of all, it was used as a place where judgment. People were brought and they stood and they were judged there. The second thing that this particular Bema seat was used for was to give rewards for those who had been involved in the games. And as they would stand there, the one that was standing doing the judging would ask and a wreath would be placed upon those who won an athletic event. And so it was a place of judgment and a place of reward. And so Paul begins to tell us through scripture, there's coming a day when we who know Jesus Christ at the end of our life, or whether we are raptured, we'll stand before God and every one of us will give an account for everything that we have done within our life. Now, Scripture indicates that there are at least eight judgments that are mentioned in Scripture. Let me quickly highlight them for you. First of all is the judgment with, with Christ has experienced for us already on the cross. It says in John 5, 24, verily, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. I want you to know that's the reason we celebrate today because I was once a sinner, but Jesus took my judgment for me, paid the penalty of my sin, and today I stand on the other side and will not be judged for sins that God paid the penalty for when Jesus sacrificed on the cross. The second judgment 
that the scripture speaks about is a self-judgment that's found in Corinthians 11.31. It says, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under judgment. In other words, if we just were more obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit within our life, we would stay out of trouble. How many of you know that to be true? About half of you. If I would just do what the Spirit tells me to do when he tells me to do it, I would save myself a lot of trouble. Most of the trouble I've gotten into is when I didn't do what he told me to do. And he tells us if we would just learn to judge ourselves, to obey, we would save ourselves issues. It's called the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how much you understand of this, but I can tell you that there have been many times when I get to the end of a message and I can see conviction in your face. There are moments when I know the Spirit of God is speaking to individuals and sometimes you fight it, you don't want to give in and I can see the battle, the spiritual battle as the Spirit is saying, just do what I tell you to do. And I also have seen the joy of one who is being convicted by the Spirit to respond to say, yes, and the flood of satisfaction that comes in walking into that obedience as we learn to obey the convincing and convicting power of the Spirit. A friend of mine, Bill Kirk, says this, any sin that's arrested in your mind by the power of God's Holy Spirit never becomes a part of your past that you regret or have to seek forgiveness for. If we would learn to arrest in our minds actions before they ever become an activity, then we don't have to ask forgiveness for things that the Spirit stopped us from in our minds ahead of time. The third kind of judgment that's listed is a discipline which comes from God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 7 says, My son, don't take light the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those that he loves and chastens everyone that he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For some of you, this answers a question. Some of you have wondered, why do I go through in my life things that I'm doing? Why does it seem so hard from time to time? I want you to know that the Lord is using the circumstances of your life to develop something in you that becomes a discipline. We each learn different ways, and maybe you're hard-headed enough that you just have to keep going through these things till you finally say, okay, Lord, I've learned the lesson. But accept it as discipline. There's a judgment and a discipline in that. Fourthly is the judgment that we're talking about today. The fifth judgment is the judgment of Israel. And the sixth judgment, the Gentile nations. Then there's a judgment that we will participate in because the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 3 that we will participate in judging angels. It says, do you not know that one day you will judge the angels? That will be our task. And eighth, the last is the great white throne judgment, which will be the judgment for those that do not know Christ. And we will talk about that next week. You do not want to be at that judgment. So the judgment of believers is where we're at. And when we stand before God, the things that will be judged for us, that will be opened up for the Lord to look at, that we will be held accountable for, will be things like our stewardship and our disciplines, our priorities, our relationships. We'll be judged for how we handled our spousal responsibilities and the way that we treated each other and the giving of our time, the giving of our finances and our life of service for the glory of God. All of that will be opened before us 
at the judgment seat of Christ, at the Bema seat, that will allow us either to be rewarded or it will be burned up as fire. So what are the characteristics of this judgment? The Bible tells us that we will all appear before there. So the first thing that we understand is we must appear. You don't have a choice. If you're a child of God, you must appear before the judgment seat of God. Second of all, it says that we must all appear. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are. None of you are going to escape it because every one of us who have been given a life will stand before God to give an account for what we did with it. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager. It doesn't matter if you're a grandma or grandpa. Every one of us will have to stand and it will be God through the eyes of Jesus looking at each of us and we will give an account for what we do. All of it. It will be before Jesus. I can think of nothing more sobering than to have to stand and look into the eyes of the one who gave absolutely everything for my freedom and have to give an account for what I did with his grace and what I did with his mercy. The Bible says that the judgment will be an individual. You will not stand together as a married couple. You will not stand together with brothers and sisters. You won't be there just because your whole family is a Christian. Individually, you will stand there. People have said, is it going to be a public? Is it going to be private? I believe that it will be public. I believe that there will be the presence of others around. Luke chapter 12, verse 8 says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Now, some of you are going, I was with you till it was public. I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm public. Let me tell you why I believe it's going to be public. In Matthew chapter 25, we see the parable of the talents. The one who was given much, used it, grew it. The one who was given a little bit, grew it. The one who was given one, took it and buried it and publicly was judged in front of others where they said, you go and take that which he has and give it to those. It was a public thing. If you find that terrifying, be comforted in the fact that every one of us has good and bad in us. Every one of us. There will be nobody that will stand there and Jesus said, I just want everybody to look at this. This is the perfect person. You guys all look, just look at them. And if there is one, it will not be anybody here. <laughs> and it certainly won't be your pastor. I'm convinced that even if it is a public thing, looking into the eyes of Jesus, there will be nobody else that matters. But looking into the eyes of the one who saved you by his grace. I also believe that even if it's public, the understanding that we are standing before God to be rewarded will be of great comfort and joy. The Bible tells us that it is a judgment of our works. It's not an isolated teaching in the New Testament either. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, it says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, Someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. In other words, what you build into the lives of people around you, build with care. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, the Bible says their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. I hate cancer. I hate sickness and terminal illnesses. But I will tell you this. Through the years, I have had an opportunity to pray with a lot of people to receive Jesus Christ as a result of them having opportunity during terminal sickness to recognize they were about to see God. I've had opportunity to pray with people, some of them a couple of days before they went to the Lord and some of them minutes. The joy of that is knowing that the moment they received Jesus Christ as their Savior, their name was written in the Lamb's book of life. The sadness of receiving Christ at the end of your life is that they had absolutely no works that they could do for Christ to be rewarded for. They will have made it into heaven, but by fire. There are moments in time in our lives when we have to determine. I've had people say, I just want to make it in just by the skin of my teeth. I've always thought, if you have skin on your teeth, you probably need to brush them. But that's just... They just, just want to get in. I want you to know something. I don't think any of us here just wants to get in. I want to live a life that brings honor to him so that when everything is revealed and the fire comes, there's something left that I have that I've earned for eternity that helps me make decisions in the way I live today and what I do today so that when I see God's eyes, I know that his his salvation for me wasn't something that I waited to the last minute, but was a lifestyle that I was able to give to him. So there will be some that will be saved, but nothing more. Matthew 16, 27 said, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. In the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus says in Revelation twenty two twelve, 12, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. In other words, the way you live today is not unimportant. There are a lot of difficult questions that we need to ask ourselves as we face a day-to-day -day life of living as one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Because you see, the way that we live and the things that we do and the words that we say and the way that we treat each other and the way that we handle the, the gifts that God has given to us, the stewardship of our time and our talents and our money, will all be public evidence before everybody that will be brought forth into Christ's courtroom to demonstrate whether or not our faith is real. And our deeds as public evidence will be there to demonstrate the varying measures of our obedience of faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what I need you to know. Salvation is by faith. But the evidence of your salvation is the deeds in which you live out your life for Christ. You're not earning your salvation. That cannot be done. 
Your good works without salvation will not earn you salvation. Jesus paid the penalty for that. But following that and having joined Christ in relationship, everything you do after that earns reward. It's the evidence of your salvation. Now, we live in a world that is so cynical, and people will say, you know what, I would go to church, but I know Christians, and, and I don't want to be like them. You know, it tells me that somewhere there's this breakdown between who we claim to be and the way we live our lives. If our lives are so unattractive to the lost because of the hypocrisy that they see within us, then we need to fall on our face before God and say, bring me into an alignment with your word, O God, as we heard this morning, that the word of God would be the guidelines by which we live so that there will be something that would be rewardable about my life when I stand before you. So please understand, your good works are not foundational to your salvation, but they are a demonstration of your salvation. Does everybody understand that? Everybody has a role to play. In 1 Corinthians 3, 8, Paul says, He who plants and he who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. And in Ephesians 6, 8, Paul says, Because you know that the Lord will reward each of you for whatever good they do, you need to understand, don't compare yourself to somebody else. What God wants to do in your life is different than what God wants to do in somebody else's life. And so if you sit there and say, well, you know what, if I had a more public ministry, I would have more rewards. Absolutely not. You're rewarded based on what God has created you to do and the opportunities he gives for you to do. I'm convinced that the most rewarded people in heaven will not be pastors. But I believe it will be people who week after week were faithful to the Lord. They did what they were told to do. They influenced their sphere of influence around them. They, the people they worked with and were living the life before others. And God used them in magnificent ways. And you'll say, well, they may not have won as many people. God rewards based on what he has created you to do in the body. Here's a tweetable thought. Your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. Your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. Now, for those of you who were here last Sunday for Easter, you've seen this glove before. If you weren't here, you missed it. I had a lot of fun with this glove last week. I got to knock Satan across the room. The best demonstration that I can give of what does a yielded life of obedience look like is when you come to Christ, he says your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit lives within you. So your life is like the glove. The Holy Spirit is the life inside the glove who leads and guides in the hand. The glove does not tell the hand what to do. The glove flows with what the inner moving of the hand tells it to do. We who are walking in obedience to the Lord will be like the glove. We are seen on the outside, but we are motivated from the inside so that when people see your good works, they don't say, what a great glove. They say, no, what a great God lives within you. And so God asks each of us just to do what you've been created to do in the way and to fit into the body, and from that you will be rewarded greatly.
Paul insists that there are certain kinds of deeds that will earn reward. And there are certain kinds of deeds that will not. He begins to list several kinds of deeds that will not inherit the kingdom of God in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, the scripture is telling you right up front that for those who choose to ignore the word of God, there will be no reward for your life. In fact, if these things are the practice of your life, this will not be the judgment that you are at. Because you will stand at a judgment having never known him. But we live in a generation and we live in a society that tells us, as long as I acknowledge there's a God. Oh, I believe there's a God. Oh, I believe that that Jesus lived and died. That just having that knowledge permits you to enter into the kingdom. And I want you to know very clearly, I do not want to have to stand before God and say that I left anybody with that impression. The only way you'll know that you can stand before God is to receive Jesus as your Savior and to live a life of faithfulness following that. That's the only way. You can't just say a quick prayer and then choose to disregard the Word of God and say, I said the prayer. Scripture clearly says that there are lifestyles and disobedience that will not enter in and inherit the kingdom. There's a way of life that we must choose in honoring our God. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody claims to have faith but does not have deeds? Such faith, can it save them? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I want you to understand this. Saying a prayer to receive Jesus and then never living a single day in your life as if he matters to you is not salvation. It's cheap hell insurance. If there is nothing within our life that would give evidence at this trial standing before God that the deeds of our life supported our faith, then it will be a frightening day. John 5, 28 and 29, for there is a time coming when all those who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. In other words, the way one lived will be evidence, whether one passes through judgment to life or whether one experiences judgment as condemnation. This is a sobering thing for me, and it should be for all of us, because I don't know about you, but I have a selfish streak, and the aspect of trying to measure everything I've got, not that that this should be something that we agonize over, but just that, Lord, would you help us today to live as if our faith matters? 
Help me to put into perspective the aspects that, that there are those whose lives out there that do not know you will determine what you're like based on how I live it. And I fail so often, so God, I need the help of your spirit. Because if I try on my own, I'm going to fail. But inwardly, if your spirit lives within me and motivates me, then somehow, maybe there will be enough of a likeness of you in me that it will become attractive to others. And then, Lord, help me not to be ashamed of you. Help me not to be ashamed of you. Do you know it's easier for me to preach to you on a Sunday morning than it is to have a conversation one-on-one in a diner with somebody? Maybe you're like that, too. Oh, God, when we stand before you and the books open and our lives are laid out and flame will come to devour everything that is wood and hay and stubble, oh, God, help us to live as people that when the flame is gone, there will be reward left for lives that were lived for your glory because of what you've done. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. In 1 Kings chapter 3, there's a story about Solomon standing there, and there were two women that came to him with one baby. Both of them claimed to be the mother of that child. Solomon, in his wisdom, looked at them, and he said, Okay, let's cut the baby in half. Each of you get one half. Instantly, one of the mothers cried out, and she goes, No, 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 oh Lord, give the child to her. But by no means kill it. And Solomon said, give that woman the child, for she's its mother. What he was looking for there was this. He was not looking for a deed that would earn the child. He was looking for a deed that would prove that the child was already possessed at birth. God's not looking for us to do good works to earn salvation. He's looking at our life to say, what is it that salvation has motivated you to do from now on? And we will all stand all give an account in a couple of weeks I'm going to tell you what we can send ahead what are the things that we can do now that will send reward ahead of us to heaven next week we're going to talk about what it will be like for those to stand at the white throne judgment without Christ you'd rather be at this one you'd rather know Christ I'm going to ask that you would stand with me I asked our worship team if they would lead us in a song that those of you who've grown up in the church will know and love well but it's a declaration for each of us to make that today and I surrender all. I surrender all. And as we sing this, perhaps it will be your prayer today as you just stand with your hands up and say, Lord, from this moment on, I need to just say to you, I surrender everything to you. I surrender my life, my energies, my time, my money. I surrender it all to you that you might be glorified. Let's sing this together.
when you stand before him. Hesitated for a moment then, and he said, I hope that I will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then he said this, but I don't think I will. That sent shockwaves throughout a world of people who think, if Billy Graham doesn't think that he has lived in such a way that he will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What does that mean for the rest of us? Here's what you need to understand. God is not going to judge you in comparison to Billy Graham. He's not going to ask you to stand in front of him and give an account for the life that you were not meant to live. He's going to give you the opportunity to account for the life that he gave you and the opportunities that he has given you to do something with the salvation that he won for you. And your reward will be great or small based on what you've done with the abilities God has given to you. Now as we sing this again, I don't know about you, but I just want to stand in his presence and lift my hands and say, I surrender all. And if you want to join me, then slip out of your seat and let's come and just stand before him and surrender one more time to him. Won't you come as we sing this, just to stand in his presence. If you desire to surrender all this morning, won't you come as we sing this again. Oh, I surrender all.
morning and you have never taken the opportunity to stand before the Lord and let him take the judgment of your sin for you, then I want to provide you that opportunity this morning. He will come at the mention of his name and if you will ask him, Lord, come into my life and wash away all of my sin and make me a brand new creature. But you need to understand that when you say that prayer, you are committing your life to him. He becomes your Lord. He becomes this, the, the working and animation inside the glove of your life and he will lead you and he will guide you. You're giving yourself away to the one who bought your eternity for you. And if you are willing to make that commitment today, then let me pray with you and pray for you. Father, for those right now that are making eternity-changing decisions, I ask that as we ask you into our life that we don't do it just because we want to escape hell, but that we do it because we want to live for you. That you will be our Lord. That you will be our energy. That you will be the one that we live for, we give for, we work for, we proclaim. Not just to escape but to run to your arms, O oh Lord. And that in that we find relationship with you. And I pray for those that are making that prayer right now, that you would write their name in the Lamb's book of life, escaping a judgment without you and running to a judgment for you and that their life will bear fruit for you, O oh God. Lord Jesus, for the rest of us that stand that know you, may this be more than just a song. May this be our position before you. Lord, everything I have and everything I am, all my gifts and abilities, I surrender them to you. Live in me and through me so that when I look you in the eyes at the Bema seat, there will be something that remains after the judgment which will be to me an honor to give back to you in worship, to throw my crowns at your feet, O oh God, in honoring the highest royalty. So, Lord, as we prepare to sing this chorus one more time, let it be our prayer of surrender to you. I surrender all. Let's sing it one more time. Oh, I surrender. for the glory of the name of Jesus. And this we pray and together we shout, amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hug a neck. Tell somebody you love them today in the name of Jesus.